we'll be reading this morning, we're, we're taking a little step away from the Mark series. We're going to get to this triumphal entry story in the Gospel of Mark outside of Easter time. <clears throat> so we're going to read from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 21, and then we'll read a little bit from the book of Zechariah so you can hear what uh, Matthew is citing in his Gospel. So this is Matthew 21. Verse 1, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we entered Jerusalem. The whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And then from that cited prophet, from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I'll cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth." As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I'll set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I'll restore to you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. And they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness, and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish, and new wine the young women. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you're speaking here with us. The down through the, the ages, the centuries, the millennia, your voice speaks to us on these pages, and still your spirit speaks to us presently to our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would help us to hear what you're saying. Help us to see what you're doing. 
Help us to celebrate your arrival, your conquering, your victory. Father, would you help me by the power of your spirit to speak with these words and not against them. May my own mutterings and utterings be withered away and blown aside like all the grass that we are. We thank you, Jesus, for being with us today. May you be honored and glorified. Amen. <clears throat> and just, if you've, if you've never been to our church on a Palm Sunday, just so you know what's going to happen in a few minutes, um, all of us are going to go on a little bit of a walk. It's not a very long walk. But we're going to go on a little mini parade to, to reenact some of the events of Palm Sunday. There's going to be a lot of kids there's going to be a lot of branches being waved around, slapped around, turned into swords and tickling devices. This will inevitably happen, and it's a lot of fun. Palm Sunday seems like a really, really fun day. The original one, it sounds like it. It's a parade. Uh, most people like parades. I personally hate them. But lots of people like them, and it sounds like this is a good, victorious, fun thing in the Gospels. Um, Jesus is being celebrated. He's being honored. The people of Jerusalem are there to welcome him, to celebrate his coming into the city. The truth, though, is that Palm Sunday is a profoundly sad occurrence. It it is meant to be read in the Gospels as people who know, hopefully, the, the whole of the story, not as a triumphant thing. It's called the triumphal entry in your, in your Bible because it seems triumphal, but it doesn't actually work out that way, or so it seems. And this is really helpful for us for reading, interpreting, and entering into all the events of Holy Week, if you do not pay attention, you will miss what is actually going on. If you do not see what God is actually doing in the story, you will be profoundly confused and miss out on what it is that he actually wants to accomplish. Matthew chapter 21 is meant to be read as this profoundly ironic event in the life of Jesus. Because the people are singing this thing and welcoming him and acclaiming him. And these people have no idea what is going on. They think that they know what is going on, but they do not. They are taking off these branches. This, this is one of the few stories that's in all four Gospels. And you'll notice, maybe you didn't notice, but in Matthew chapter 20, it doesn't say palm branches. It just says branches of a tree. We get that detail from another Gospel, from the Gospel of John. These branches, these palm branches, are signs of royal victory. They are, they are borrowing this idea, this custom, from things that have happened a hundred or so years ago. When one of the Maccabees uh, had a, a rare victory in Israel's history, and they, they acclaimed Simon the Maccabees for what he'd, 
done in his victory, they wave these palm branches and they're pulling back from their not too distant past to say that Jesus now is a new one of these, a new victor. And so they are sort of preempting, they are prompting, they are, they are anticipating the kind of victory that Jesus will have in Jerusalem for them on their behalf that Simon had a long time ago. And their hope is that Jesus' victory will be more lasting than Simon of the Maccabees. Because the Maccabean period in, in Israel is this little window of time in history when, when Israel was actually in control of their own land. And it mostly for centuries and centuries not been, but for this little window of time, they were in control and they were in charge. And they, they expect now, they are, they are hoping, they are prompting Jesus to sort of take up this Maccabean mantle and do for them what Simon had done but could not extend. And so they're hoping that Jesus will be the one that will, that will make this little window of self-determination and self-control. He'll extend it, and in fact, that he will, he will, he'll extend it geographically beyond just Jerusalem, beyond a little bit of geographical Palestine and to the ends of the earth. They, they are hoping and reading parts of what we might just have read from Zechariah chapter 9 and other parts of the Old Testament, and they are hoping that this is the moment it's finally the moment when the God of Israel will fulfill all of these promises that seem to have fallen by the wayside and gone to the ground. Rome will be overthrown. Israel will be finally free. And that freedom, this victory of Israel's God, will be known not just in Israel, but the Gentiles themselves will stop this ceaseless cycle of an invasion, conquest, and slavery. And so they take up these palm branches, and they wave them, and they say, save us. When they say Hosanna, they are saying, save us. David's son, ride in and save us. And they have no idea what Jesus is doing. Jesus knows they have that they have no idea that he knows what he's doing and they don't. Jesus knows, but they don't. And Jesus, he he rides in on, on this donkey, not on this war horse. A, a donkey is a perfectly acceptable mode of transportation in the ancient Near East. There's nothing wrong with Jesus riding a donkey. There's nothing especially weird about it. It's, it's just that it's not the king's war vehicle. It's, it's the king's mode of transportation of peace and not, not what he rides to go to war. And, and they can see him on this donkey and they cannot see where it is that he is going and what it is that he is doing. And soon in the story, soon in Holy Week, these same people who would wave the branches in their profound disappointment and anger, the frustration of their expectations, will pivot and turn 
and asked that this one, he would be crucified. And this, for us, is a helpful window into the truth of what it is like to follow Jesus. The truth is that following Jesus, following the God of Israel, births in us this kind of conflict between expectation and God's own expectations all the time. It's tempting to to read the Gospels, especially during Holy Week as Christians, and to look back at these residents of Jerusalem and to say, what, how could they miss this? How could could they not see, how could they not have heard what Jesus has said over and over and over again, time and time again in the Gospels of refusing to go along with what they think that he should be doing? How could they be surprised by what it is that he is doing? But an honest reading of the Gospels and of our own lives should tell us that the truth is we are very much like the people of Jerusalem. We expect, we demand that God be on our side in our agenda at all times and in all places. We expect that we rightly understand what it is God should do and what God is doing in the world. And we expect him to do as we have planned. And when God does not, because he very often does not, our response is not so different from theirs. It is anger, it is profound disappointment, it is grief and sorrow. Because God has not acted for us, or so we believe. God has not done for us, he has not been good to us, he has not done the good thing that I need, that we need, and and. Let's be clear, the people of Jerusalem are not crazy to want to be free. They're not crazy to want Rome out of the neighborhood. They're not crazy to want the the cycle of invasion and conquest to stop. What they want is a good thing. They want the violence, they want the theft, they want the oppression to stop. They, They want what they should want. Their expectation, though, is that they understand what they need most and they will do it in the way that they expect. And when God does not act in that way, expect towards the ends that they understand in the timeline that they demand, then the determination becomes that this one cannot be God. This one cannot be moving and acting in accordance with the will of God. Things have gone profoundly wrong. And you and I act this way all the time. You probably want good things in your life that you should want. There's a long list of things that that you and I want that are good things. 
Your heart breaks and longs for the fulfillment of these desires that are themselves good. The problem becomes when you sit in the judgment seat over God. When you decide, I know best when and how it should happen. I know the terms on which God has entered into a deal with me. And when God breaks the deal... You stand in judgment over God. Probably you begin to sorrow and weep because you believe that God has abandoned you. God has forgotten you. He has not seen you. Sometimes you turn into a spirit of introspection. What is wrong with me? That God has not seen fit to do this good thing for me. Sometimes you hold on to bitterness. You turn it against others. It is those people that have subverted God. I know God is on my side. And if those people had not gotten in the way, then God would have acted in my account in the way that I know that he should to act. Sometimes you hold bitterness against God himself. It's nameless. You know it's illogical. You can't even explain it. You just know that you needed this. And God has seemed to do nothing for you. Sometimes that will sound like crucifixion. Sometimes you will outright throw violence at the person of God. Sometimes that will look and work its way out in other directions, towards other people, towards yourself. But the anger of subverted expectations, the sorrow of subverted expectations, should cause us to read Matthew 21, to read Zechariah chapter 9, with a sense that we have profound empathy for the people who are there, and with a revelation of who we really are. We are the ones on the sidelines, cheering for God when he acts as we demand, abandoning him when he does something else. Because the truth is that God has a plan of his own, and it is not yours. It's not yours. It's not mine. And at various points all along the way of your life, you're wanting even the best of things will divert you away from what God is doing simply because you are not God. Palm Sunday is a conflict between my will and the will of Jesus. And what Jesus will show you is he is absolutely committed to doing it his way. And he is absolutely committed to you. What the people of Palm Sunday do not understand is that Jesus will resolutely Ignore 
what they demand to do what the Father demands. He, he will see the high cost of every moment of it, and he will not be swayed by the popularity of the crowds, by the pleas of the people. He will do what he has determined and not them. And Jesus will continue to be Jesus towards you. I promise you this morning, Jesus will disappoint you. It is a guarantee of your life with God until the day that you see him face to face that he will disappoint you, he will frustrate you, and he will infuriate you. Because at no point in your life with God will you ever be God. And Jesus will continue to be Jesus. Now what they also cannot see and profoundly do not believe is that Jesus is more on their side than they would ever understand or hope for. Jesus actually does have in mind in this moment that he will ride in and deliver them from their enemies. That is absolutely what Jesus is doing here. And he is doing it in a way that is far better than their imaginations can conceive of. And Jesus is not being unkind to them. Jesus is not being stingy or withholding with them. Jesus is being so much more than they could have hoped for. And Jesus will continue to be this way with you. Even in the face of your fury and your sorrow and your blaspheming and your cursing, Jesus will resolutely still be Jesus and be more kind towards you than you could ever hope for or imagine. And all of the good things, the very best things that you long for in your life, the really and truly good things, God wants good too. And in fact, he's more committed to it than you are. And even though you cannot see it and your own self-delusion will lead you to a life of anger and opposition to him at times, he will still march down the road. He will still go down the road of his own conquest of all that troubles and enslaves you. And even when you shake your fist at him like a child robbed of what you know is your right, he will still be better to you than you can possibly imagine. This is why Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesians, and he says, my prayer for you is that you would understand how much God loves you. Because these people in Jerusalem cannot see it. You cannot see it. I cannot see it. We can only, by the grace and mercy of God, get angle after angle, new glimpse after new glimpse of the great love of God for his people in Christ Jesus. And the long prophesied conquest 
of this, the king of Israel that we read in Zechariah, he says that the blood of his own covenant with his people will surely secure the peace, the livelihood, the joy of these people that he will win for himself so that no enemy without or within would be able to disrupt his plans for the settled goodness of God to reign amongst his people. The question is, do you trust him? That's always the question. Do you trust him? The people in Jerusalem that day do not trust him. They don't trust him. It will be clear within days that they don't trust him. They cannot believe that the thing that he wants to do is actually as good as the thing that they want him to do. But you do not stand on Palm Sunday being asked to pretend like you cannot see what is coming in the pages of the gospel. You stand on Palm Sunday knowing that the icon of God's victory is the cross. That Jesus, with his settled conviction to do good to you, will go to be willingly murdered on a hill so that he might be enthroned over the worst of your enemies. You are, you are invited to this Palm Sunday to look at the events of Palm Sunday through what is coming on Good Friday and ask this question now. Now do you trust him? He, he'll disappoint you for sure in the events of your life because you're not very good at wanting he will disappoint you and frustrate you because your expectations are largely not very good. He will infuriate you because he will not give you control, but will instead keep it for himself. But this king, the one who does ride in and conquer, he was crucified on your behalf and resurrected for your life. Will you trust him? And if you are here today and you are living in the space of sorrow and anger at God, you are living the life of a disciple. And if you know that and if you carried the burden of that, as we all have as people who follow Jesus, you should know that you are not in a place alone, that every one of us has been there in some way and at some time. And you are not beyond the goodness and kindness of God. He has not forgotten you. He has not overlooked you. Even in this moment, his goodness is marching in towards you. Today, if you know that you have not trusted him, if you have turned aside, if you've shouldered a cold shoulder towards him, hear his voice Look at him as the God who was crucified for you and trust him.
Bring all your tears, all your anger, your disappointment, bring them straight to him. He can handle it. He can handle you. And he will be good to you. And if you are here today, profoundly disappointed and upset with the state of life, seeming like the whole world is beset by evil and never changing as it ought, and you have never trusted Jesus, I promise you the nature of the world is not changing. The good things that you long for are good, and nobody will deliver them to you. Your only option is to trust the king who had all power, gave it all away, for the sake of giving you better than something better than you could hope for. And today you need to trust him. Let him deliver you, let him rescue you, and let him usher you into the thing that we will sing, Hosanna, save us, save me, son of David. And today and every day, he will. He will until you can see him face to face and all of your sorrows will be answered in the light of his face. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you truly are the Lord of heaven and earth. You are the God, you are the king who brings good. And Father, I pray that today we will be able to sing these songs, these Hosanna songs with great joy. That though we have railed against you, that we have fought against you, that we have brought our own disappointment time and time again, you have constantly, resolutely been true and good to us. As your people, God, we confess to you that we have sinned against you. We have laid charges at your feet because we have trusted ourselves. We have trusted our own good judgment, our own good government, time and time again. And we are like every other person who has followed you ever. And God, we just ask for your mercy. We plead for your patience. And God, we are so grateful that you are good and kind towards us even now. And Father, I pray for those who are here and have never trusted you, who have tried to remake the world in their own image and have been frustrated time and again. And God, I pray that you will bring them to a place of hopelessness in their own ability to reign and rule. And instead, they would see you, the good and right king, and would trust you because you're the only one who can seem to bring the good and the true and the beautiful to reign and rule on the earth. God, we thank you that you do ride in for us and with us. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you will accomplish what your love has set out to do. You are our great hope, Lord Jesus. To you we say, Hosanna, son of David, knowing that you will indeed Save your people. Amen.